we, some of you are visiting. I'm Pastor Andrew. <laughs> I do work here. <laughs> um, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I am uh, excited and humbled to bring God's Word to us today. You could turn to Psalm 57, and you're also going to need to use like that ribbon in your Bible or a piece of paper or one of your digits to keep uh, your finger in Psalm 142, because we're going to cover two psalms today. See how this goes. Um, two psalms in our summer series on Psalms, a heart for worship. So Psalm 57 and 142, thank you to Sharon and Carolyn uh, for reading during the service. Um, that really adds to it. And did you see how the songs connected, uh, some of them very directly to the text that we read? It was really cool to read Land of the Living and then sing Land of the Living. So um, it's really uh, cool to see the connections there. Uh, how many of you don't like caves like the idea of caves is like yeah get me out of there okay people are staying away from caves all right we're not spelunking we're not no no stay away how many of you are claustrophobic so a tight cave is even worse okay somebody yeah there we go okay more hands i you know i i thought as we were singing today i should have brought the picture of joy and lorraine crawling through caves near the dead sea in israel nine years ago so the great pictures just crawling through the caves uh but we are today talking about two of the cave psalms from the book of Psalms, they specifically in the title talk about the context being in um, a cave. So I thought that I would kind of see where we're at. looks like we have some cave, mm, kind of uh, some people struggling with caves today. So I want to bring this, bring this up um, in a way that, yes, connects to physical caves. Um, but also, I think that more in the Psalms than anywhere else in Scripture, we... Um, are able to make much more of a direct link between this is what the scripture says and this is what I'm feeling in my life. And I can relate that even if I didn't go in a cave yesterday. <laughs> um, it's that thing where we want to be careful when we're reading Paul or Peter to over-spiritualize things, but the Psalms are very emotional uh, songs and they connect much more directly to our experiences. And so I want to make sure that we do that today um, because some of us don't like that. We'd rather have like just a, da, 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 da. yes, I can do that. Okay, good. That makes sense to me. It's logic. Okay. Um, but when we connect here with David and his Psalms of emotion, great emotion and crying out, screaming even, um, sometimes that is not our, our cup of tea. And so I want us to connect with this today. Um, we already read the Psalms, so I just want to um, kind of say what the, the Psalms have in common. Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. So that's what we'll do first. Look at the title um, in your Bible. Now, you, you probably have, depending on what Bible you have, you have two kinds of titles here. You have a title that the, the editors and translators put there. Okay? So if you have an ESV, it says probably for Psalm 57, it says, Let your glory be over all the earth. Everybody see that? If you have an ESV? Okay. So if you have a different version, NIV, NLT, it might have a different... Title. I'm not talking about that title. I'm talking about the one that says, To the Choir Master. Do you see that? See that in your Bible? To the Choir Master, according to Do Not Destroy. It has a weird word, miktam. Okay? Um, then it gives us what's going on here. A miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. And so we have an actual historical marker to connect us to. Now look at Psalm 142 and look at the title there. Psalm 142, a maskil of David, we have a miktam and a maskil of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. Now that's scripture, 
those titles right there are not added. That's in the, the Hebrew, okay? That's in the original scripture. So that title in some places is called verse zero because of the way that in English we've, we've versified this. Um, but that is the scripture. So both of these Psalms, um, one uh, in the earlier part of the, the book and one in the late, latter half, um, are about caves. They're about real caves, real caves that real people hid in. And from those caves or from the experience in those caves, um, these psalms were written specifically out of that experience. When it connects with that experience, we want to connect some of our experiences to that experience. So here's the problem today. The problem is if you say, well, I've never, I mean, David was on the run from his father-in-law who was trying to kill him. And probably not very many of you have had that experience. And so that doesn't disqualify you from helping you like, connect with this, right? And so I, I want to say at the outset that what we are doing here is at a deep emotional level trying to connect with what David was going through. And wonderfully, God in his kindness gives some very specific things in the Psalms, in the cave. But he also gives us this vocabulary that connects us to the caves in our life. I hate doing that. Uh, with biblical interpretation, like, what are the giants in your life? Let's find some stones and sling them at the giants. No, that's, that's not good. But in the Psalms, the connection is really clear. Have you ever felt like you're in a cave, on the run, in a pit, pressed down, all alone? Yes, you have. <laughs> I'll answer that for you. And so that's what I want us to do today. It's a little more difficult. It's a little bit harder to outline. Um, but I think that it is essential in relating to a personal God, not just um, a creator God who started this whole thing and kind of runs it, you know, from a boardroom somewhere, but a God who is intimately involved in the details of our lives. So kind of the summary sentence, the big idea for today is that despite intense suffering, trust a merciful God to protect and deliver you for his overarching glory. Despite intense suffering, Trust the merciful God to protect and deliver you for his overarching glory. That's going to connect to some of you right now exactly where you're at in your life. Right now, this resonates. For some of us, this is preparation for when it will resonate because it's going to happen. It's going to happen that this will be very fresh um, for our lives. And so we want to arm ourselves if we're in the midst of this. We want to arm ourselves for when it comes. We want to give ourselves the language, the vocabulary to spiritually fight in the day that we need it. Okay, so what do both psalms contain? Both psalms contain some similarities, okay? Obviously, the first one is caves, <laughs> okay? Um, they, both, uh, they both contain caves. So um, let's see if we have this ready to go. All right, um, this is cool because there's pictures and maps and all kinds of fun stuff, right? So that's obviously cool, but... Um, what, what we have here is we actually can go back to First and Second Samuel and start to look through the historical record of David himself. Did you know that if you look up the word Jesus in the Bible, every time the word Jesus appears, and you look up the word David, and every time it appears, David appears more than Jesus. Did you know that? Now, I didn't do personal pronouns like he and him and his, so I don't know how that all works. But just to let you know, there's no one even close to that, right, other than David. So David is a major character in the Bible. We see more of David than we see of any other character other than Jesus. We hear more about his life. In fact, we not only hear about where he's going and what he's doing, we read about what he's feeling. And so this is, this is the, 
the only character in the Bible that we can connect to at this, at this level. And so I just want to again and again and again remind you that this is not, as much as I love it, this is not Narnia, okay? This is not Gondor. This is not Hogwarts. This is, I mean, this is like, this is nothing um, like that because it's better. <laughs> and all those things have brief, maybe brief glimpses into this. This is the land of Israel. This is where um, God gave his people the land. This is where we can connect to these things. This is the cave of Adullam. So if you went and looked at First King, First uh, Samuel chapter 22, you see that David is desperate. He's on the run from the king who also happens to be his father-in-law. Um, and his father-in-law doesn't want to charge him rent. His father-in-law wants to kill him, to separate his head from the rest of his body. And so David goes to kind of no man's land. In fact, what's interesting is in this area today, it's no man's land in between Palestinian authority and Israeli held lands. And there's this hill that sticks out of the ground. And in that hill and a lot of this region, there are holes in the ground. There's holes in the side of the mountain. There's holes in the side of the hills. And there are caves. Obviously, we're 3,000 years on. So these caves look a little different. But these, these caves kind of give us a sense of what David is going through. He's hiding out um, in a place that's not the place where the next king is supposed to be, right? He's been anointed. He's been told by God's prophet that he is to be the next king. That means he should be training. He should be learning how to do all the right stuff in the palace, how to sit in the throne, how to send somebody away. But no, he's, he's in a cave. I don't know if you know this, but if you're in a cave, um, bathroom situation is not ideal, Okay, um, when you're on the run and you're in hiding, um, the basic functions of everyday life are inhibited. We can tell from the scripture that David was on the run from King Saul for at least 10 years of his life. So we're not talking about a bad week. We're talking about a rough decade. Okay, and that's, that's what we're experiencing along with David here in this. Now, did he write the psalm in the, in, the, in the beginning, middle, the end? Well, we can guess at that. There's not a lot of evidence there. But whatever the case, we are talking about life and death. Um, j- just some ideas of what the interior of these caves um, are like. Um, I've been able to go in some of those caves, and um, I like caves. I like tight places. I, I have no problem with that. But just to sit there and think, this is home. This is um, home on the run. Uh, what a difficult place to be. The other place in the Old Testament that we have David specifically in a cave, which, by the way, uh, if you read a commentary on this, they're like, well, it's probably this instance or this instance. If he's on the run for 10 years, he's in all kinds of caves. I mean, he's, uh, there's caves everywhere in the central part of Israel, and he is hiding wherever he can hide, okay? But we know in these places um, that David was specifically in places of where there are caves. So this is further to the east, right next to the shores of the Dead Sea. This is the lowest place on the surface of the planet. Um, it is oppressive in heat. Um, and this is actually today, um, this canyon over here is called the Nahal David, uh, named after David. And you can see why this would be a good hiding place, okay? Because in the middle of the desert, there are springs that lead to water, fresh water. So, side note, when you read in the Psalms about water in the desert, in the wilderness, this is what we're picturing. Better yet, there's still time to join us in September in Israel. I'm not joking. We're going to go there, right there. Um, and you could join us in September. Talk to me afterwards. 
Um, here's another waterfall in the, the canyon next door. I call this one the hidden one because not very many people have what it takes to actually make it to get there to find it. Um, but this is why. This is what the, the place looks like. Those are trails. Those are hiking trails through the area. That's the spring of the year. You see all that green? Just a beautiful, thriving place. I'm not kidding. That's spring. It's green. <laughs> when we go in September, it's not going to look like that. Um, here's some of the, the friends that live there. You can see this in First Samuel chapter 24, the Ibex or the wild goats. This is the place where that's fun. Let's go there for a day. But when this is your life, this is what you're dealing with. Here's some caves in the area. Obviously, again, it's 3,000 years ago. Did those caves exist 3,000 years ago? I don't know, but the whole place has tons of caves. So when you're on the run with hundreds of people, this is where David is hiding with his men. Um, and obviously the ones where there's water are, look great, but that's not a good hiding place because that's where everyone's going in the middle of the wilderness to go get some water. So just some, some background. This is real. This happened. David writes from the experience in the cave when he fled from Saul in the cave. What else do these, both these psalms have in common? They both contain honest cries to God for refuge, rescue, and care. Honest cries to God for refuge, rescue, and care. And some of the vocabulary is exactly the same. Refuge appears in both of these psalms, particularly um, in chapter 57, but also in Psalm 142. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge in you. My soul takes refuge 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 um, when we think about it in this way is a place where we are cared for not merely hiding right a refuge is a safe place and so we see the the honest Christ to God he needs to be rescued so there's none of this dithering about well maybe Lord if you want to kind of help me out here this is an, a, one of the words for cry is scream um, so it could be translated scream, and it is in other places in the scriptures. So this is those times where um, it's not a polite prayer. Right? It's not the, the dinner prayer, thank you, Lord, for the food. Amen. And see, this is the primal scream of suffering to the Lord. Did you know you could do that? Did you know that he'll hear you when you do that? David gives us a great uh, example here of how we can pray to the Lord. By the way, if you don't have the words to pray, we know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, right, helps us with groanings too deep for words. Another help that the Holy Spirit provides are the Psalms. Pray the Psalm back to God. Isn't that incredible? God gave us another man's words. God gave another man words who wrote it down, and we can pray those words back to God. They're right there for you, ready to pray back to God. When we read the Psalms, it is, it's hard in, in public. It's hard from the ways we normally read. But we can't read these in, in boring ways, right? We just can't, we just can't read, uh, my soul cries out. Okay, that's not how it goes, right? That's, that doesn't match. The tone doesn't match. Now, we are testing the new sound system out today. So maybe we can test it out with, with uh, on the microphone here. But we, we are crying out to God. There's emotion. There's... There's balled up fists. You can feel, you can hear the agony of the psalmist. Also, um, the similar vocabulary, it goes further. Refuge, mercy, the hunt, the trap imagery, the crying out vocabulary that goes between both of the psalms. What's interesting is that Psalm 57 
on balance, is a more confident psalm. David's in trouble, but it's um, more of a God's going to get me out of this kind of trouble. Psalm 142 is a little bit more of a, is he going to get me out of this trouble? Please, Lord, get me out of this trouble, right? There's less, there's less confidence in his wording. There's less um, warmth in it. It is more of a bare-bones cry for God to get him out. What's also interesting about this place in the Psalms is that Psalm 57 in particular has a bunch of Psalms around it that are kind of all themed together. And so um, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that um, editors put together the Psalms in specific ways. There are five books of the Psalms. You can see that as you read through. Um, But some of them are placed together because of the common elements that they share. And that's particularly true for Psalms 56 through 60. If you want something to read this afternoon, Look at the elements that are shared there. Prayers about deliverance. Um, sung to the tune of Do Not Destroy. We don't know what that tune is, but apparently they did. They knew this is how you sing the psalm. You sing it to that, that tune. Um, they're all psalms of David. Several of them are called miktams. Um, one of the uh, commentators called it the psalmic neighborhood. <laughs> the neighborhood of 56 to 60 all looks the same, sounds the same. Tract homes look the same, sound the same. These psalms kind of give us the, the vocabulary that we need to pray in this time of our lives. So let's look at Psalm 57 briefly, and then we'll jump to Psalm 142. Psalm 57, the first five verses are a stanza, and we know that because verse 5 ends with the same word that the psalm ends with. So we have basically two stanzas here with the same refrain repeated. And so in the first stanza of Psalm 57, we see that we can confidently cry for rescue. Confidently cry for rescue. Look at verse 1, and I want you to notice this pattern. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. What's in the middle of that sentence? Oh God. God is in the middle of that sentence. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Look at verse 7. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. Who's in the middle of that? Isn't that cool? He puts God right in the middle of that cry. That's, that's not coincidence. He puts the, the cry to God, he puts God right in the middle of it. So the repetition emphasizes the middle where God is. Look at verse 1, and you see the cry is for mercy. And... Um, I had some thoughts on this as we were choosing songs for today. The mercy that David is calling for here is, is not necessarily the, the more New Testament idea that we have of mercy, of God withholding his righteous judgment on us. It's more of the, I'm in trouble, Lord, what are you doing? Please get me out of this. That's a little bit more of this kind of mercy. Um, have mercy on me in this instance is not necessarily David really primarily thinking about his sin, It is primarily thinking about his situation. He needs out of the situation. In fact, David is the innocent one here. Okay, in this in this social situation, he is the innocent one, and he needs to be rescued. So, this is a a small distinction to make. We can kind of go off on the wrong track if we we don't understand the mercy that is called for here. Um, We see that David needs refuge. He needs a place, right? And this means in the cave is a good hiding place, but it's not enough. The hiding place is not enough. He needs a refuge. And he uses the imagery in verse 1 of storms of destruction coming. And where does he go to hide from the storms? The shadow of your wings. And very likely the picture here is of a mother hen. It's of a a bird um, using its wings to shelter its young. 
um, it's important to see that, that, that we see here, not just um, covering, like not just get under a tarp, it's raining, not just put up an umbrella, but it's, if there's a storm, I need warmth, I need comfort. Um, if it's, if it's the, the kind of um, place that we're in, that he was probably in, we need shade. <laughs> and so it, it's this all-encompassing safe place. And David finds his safe place in the shadow of your wings. Spurgeon said about David here, not in the cave alone would he hide, but in the cleft of the rock of ages. Verse 2 is a a beautiful verse because in the midst of his pain, he says, I cry out, I scream out to God most high. That's a very rare name for God. Um, Abraham uses that that name for God, God Most High. So this is a direct connection back to Father Abraham who lived in a very tenuous position where he's living in tents. He doesn't own any of the land that he's in. He's an old man. He's married to an old woman and they don't have any kids and God promised to give them to him and oh, it happened decades ago. This is the man. This is the, the, the man that David is looking back to to connect to God Most High. And then what does this God do? This is not a God who is most high and stays away. It's a God who's most high and because he's most high can help me now. So this, this combines the ideas of the transcendence, the otherness, the bigness of God. This is like um, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, right? So that is not to say our Father who's far away. It's to say our Father who's in control, who's in charge, who has resources and he can get here to me. It's not a distant God. It's a God who fills all of space and he's omnipresent and he can be here with me in this place. And not only that, but look at 2B because this God fulfills his purpose for me. Isn't that a good word? He fulfills his purpose. Not he fulfills my purpose for me. Let's be very clear. Getting, getting in line with God's purpose is an important part of our lives. Getting in line with God's will but God will fulfill his purpose for me. One of the commentators said this, it is certain that God's divine plans will not be undermined by the plots and attacks of the enemies. Now, you and I don't have, well, I wouldn't assume that for everyone, but I, I would assume for most of us that you and I have that are seeking to kill us today. Um, personally, that know your name, that have kind of, you know, shared meals with you. If that's the case, we will have some prayer afterwards. But this is the reality of David's life, that his enemies are immediately there. His physical enemies are there. We know that Satan in the, in the scriptures is called an enemy of God. So regardless of whether or not you have actual human enemies looking to end your life, you have a real enemy who really hates you and really wants to destroy your life. And so that is the connection that you and I can make very clearly to this psalm. This is the kind of God that David trusted in. He's in trouble. Life is not easy. It's hard. He might not survive. But he trusts in this God. In verse 3, the God that's going to send from heaven and save me. Look at the end of verse 3. God will send out his steadfast love. And his faithfulness. This is a cool picture. It's like emissaries, right? God in heaven will send out his emissary. He's the king. He has people that work for him. He has people that can do his bidding. 
What is his bidding here? Well, his bidding is coming from steadfast love and faithfulness. They're coming to protect David, to protect the psalmist. Isn't that a cool way to think of God's attributes? We have the names of God lining the walls here. Out in um, the lobby, we have some of the attributes of God up on the wall. Isn't it cool to think of God's attributes as actions? That God is not, God is not just um, conceptually like this, but that he's actually like this. And so that his steadfast love and his faithfulness, or some of your versions, his, his mercy and his truth are coming to save, to rescue David. And his steadfast love, his chesed love, his loyalty to his chosen people, his faithfulness will save them. That's our God. So people will betray you. They are betraying you. <laughs> Um, you feel betrayed by your boss, by people at work, by politicians, by family members. I mean, if you don't now, it's going to happen. I, I don't want to be like a downer today, but like, can we just be real about life? Like, we live in a fallen world where sin is abundant. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. It's in the world. It's in all kinds of things. And so this is what we need to know about God, that he will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. There's no timing attached to this. David, I'm sure, would like to be saved right now. But if you go back and you read the story of David, David had opportunities in some of those places I just showed you to to do this, to end it. He had opportunities with his own bare hands to end the persecution and the run and the running, but he would not do it because he understood that the same Lord who sent out his steadfast love and his faithfulness was the same Lord who had anointed and placed Saul in the position that he was in as God's Mashiach, as God's Messiah, as God's anointed one. He was the king and David would not touch the Lord's anointed. So this is how much David trusted the Lord. Even when he could have ended it, he did not think it was his place And so he took his hands off and he let the Lord do it, which means he let years and years and years go by until Saul finally was killed. That is faith. That is trusting God today and tomorrow and the next day and every day, trusting God. Verse 4, the imagery that David was very familiar with, lions that he had to deal with as a shepherd. He says fiery beasts he's lying down with. And then he calls them the children of man. He's dealing with people whose teeth, look at this picture. Celeste, this is for you, right? His teeth are spears and arrows. What kind of person is coming into the dentist office with that going on? Spears and arrows. I mean, imagine this picture. Um, by the way, your Bible reading will be way more fun when you actually like think of these images in your mind. That's a crazy picture. His teeth are like spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Um, this speaks to the, the uh, weapons that we have in our words. They are weapons to build up or to destroy. So David is being um, not only pursued physically, but the words that are said toward him are also acting like spears and arrows. His tongues are sharp swords. The Hebrew is incredible here. Uh, several of the commentators talked about it. It goes like this in Hebrew. 
It goes, chanit, chitzim, chereb, chada. Those are the words. It sounds like that. Does that sound like, doesn't that sound like what he's feeling? Ah, ah, ah. Right? Hebrew has this wonderful way of going, oh, right? And so the, it works perfectly because those words aren't like, yay, soft words. It's like, ha, ha. Right? It's great. And he, he's coming after them. So he feels it. And, he, and he's such a good poet. He, he writes it into the words. The words themselves sound vicious they sound attacking right after that the refrain that we hear is from david this is astonishing is this what you and i say in the cave is this what you and i say when we're being pursued by the enemy be exalted O god above the heavens let your glory be over all the earth that is an astonishing statement for a man on the run that leads into the second half of the psalm. And because we need to continue and finish and get to another psalm, I'm going to go faster here. <laughs> um, but we see here the imagery of hunting. There's a net. There's like traps put out. And so David feels like his enemies are hunting him, like he's trapped. His soul is bowed down. They dug a pit, but in a very proverbial sense, he says, but they have fallen into it themselves. He sees the Lord at work foiling the enemy's plans. He says in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. This is a good word. It means to stand firm, to stand fast. It suggests enduring stability and reliability. My heart is steadfast. So to say a a man could, could sing this, to plead with God, to cry out to God, to scream to God, and also to say his heart is steadfast gives us a fuller picture of what it means to trust God. Trusting God is not stoicism. Trusting God is not fatalism. Do you know, do you know what I mean like that? Trusting God is not like, oh, I trust God and I'll just get through it to the other side. Okay, the, the trust in God here is one that believes the personal God who created you is with you and his purposes will be established. And if he allows things to happen to you, it is for your good. Even, even, even when it doesn't feel that way at all. When you can't make sense of it, right? Not making sense. Like if you can't make logical sense of something, doesn't mean that you all of a sudden got, God, what are you doing here? Does not make any sense? Like, who are you, pot, to talk to the, the potter, Right? This is what God has placed us. He's placed in this place where we, yes, we scream to God. We cry out to him. He can handle us yelling to him and we can be steadfast. So it, it is not just like either or I am steadfast and I am getting through this and I trust God or, oh no, I can't do it. God save me. There's both of those elements put together because that's how our hearts work, right? We're, we're not just one. I'm going to choose to be only this way today and I won't feel any other feelings. Or I'll bottle them all up because that always goes well. Right? It's, it's a God who can handle our feelings and in that we can still be steadfast. And what does the steadfastness of his heart mean? It means he's going to sing because he's an artist. He's a singer. And so David sings here in verse 8. He's got the harp and the lyre. They're stringed instruments. They're probably ones that he could have taken on the road. We're not talking like, you know those like huge harps that cost like, $500,000 and you're like really scared to get within a hundred yards of them. We're not talking about that, right? We're talking about um, like a hand harp or a lyre is something more like a string, like a guitar and you, you'd use a pick, 
to play it. And so he probably could have had it on the run. Um, they were portable instruments, and we know that David was a songwriter. Um, in it, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And notice where it's going to happen in verse 9. He's going to give thanks among the peoples, among the nations. This idea of other nations needing to hear about this great God. Why? Because verse 10, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Now, would you notice the traits of God, the attributes of God in verse 10? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Remember that back in verse 3? Steadfast, I will send my steadfast love and faithfulness. So here's the picture that I got reading this. I have no idea if this is accurate. But I think this is what it sounded like to me. God's in heaven, verse 3. He will send steadfast love and faithfulness down to earth to David. David sings after God's steadfast love and faithfulness have reached to him, and he says, your steadfast love that I got is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. So it's like this, it's like this reception from heaven of God's loving, caring attributes, and then David sings them, and when he sings them, it's like he shoots them back up to God because they're great to the clouds. These aren't like little attributes. This is a nice little attribute. That God has, this is a, an attribute that goes up into the cosmos, up into the heavens. And so God, and that's what we sung today. Your love, O Lord, okay? It's, it's faithfulness. It's through clouds. It's higher than the mountains, okay? This is a very similar phrase to Psalm 36, 5, which is probably the specific text where they got that song from, but this is very similar language as well. And then the psalm ends with the same refrain from verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So um, one writer, William Varner, said this. His desire was not just to escape. Certainly he wanted to escape. But his desire also was to exalt the Lord. A truth that places a whole new perspective on his cave and also on our own caves. In fact, when he awakened the next morning, he picked up his harp and sang praises to God. And for all we know, he was still in the cave. It's very likely that David wrote this after the fact, but the, what he did while it was happening was exalt God in the midst. So it is not like, hey God, when you save me, then I'll get around to praising you. Certainly there's a different sense and feel to that like, oh, right? Crossing the Red Sea, the Red Sea crashes in, the Egyptians are dead. That's a different kind of, ah, right? But it's in the middle. What if you're walking across the Red Sea and the waters are on both sides? Can you sing then? The army's still back there. They're chasing us. They're on chariots. Can we exalt the Lord in the middle of it? I did forget to give you that second half. Steadfastly praise God in Psalm 57. Steadfastly praise God. Let's go to Psalm 142, the second psalm in the cave. One of the writers said these psalms are called Dave in the cave. The Bible seems to do that. Nick at night, Dave in the cave. Works out well for English. Um, Psalm 142 is shorter, but it is certainly related to Psalm 57. In fact, look at verse 1 of Psalm 142. With my voice, I what? I cry out. I cry out. Here's another cluster of Davidic psalms here at the end of the the Psalter. Psalms 138 through 145 are from David as well. They're placed here at the end. And what's interesting to note is that Psalm 57, we just read it, is, is kind of... It's not victorious in the sense that it's over, but David is confident. Psalm 142, David is struggling. Um, 
he, the, and so perhaps Psalm 57 is earlier in David's years on the run and Psalm 142 is later. Like year three, this is not easy, but I'm singing. Year nine, okay, <laughs> right? People have died. People have, all these things have happened. So per- perhaps that explains this. That it's written later on in David's experience. But in Psalm 142, we see two cries. The first one is the lonely cry. Verses one through four are the lonely cry. And I want to, to speak knowing that there are people right now in this building and watching online that genuinely feel all alone. And I'm, I didn't say they are all alone. They might be all alone, but they feel all alone. Have you ever felt all alone when people are all around? This is what David is feeling. He is all alone. With my voice, I cry out to Yahweh. With my voice, I plead for mercy to Yahweh. I pour out. You know that picture? I just pour. That's close. I pour out, okay, my complaint. <laughs> that would have been a good image. Uh, pour out my complaint. There's so much of it, I've got to pour it out. I'm going to just dump it. I tell my trouble before him. And the first thing I thought here just was looking up the word cry out. And it's the same from Psalm 57, but it's also the same exact word that the Hebrews used when they were enslaved in Egypt in the book of Exodus. They cried out to the Lord because of their slavery, because of their pain, because all the boys were being thrown into the the Nile River because Pharaoh hated them, because they were oppressed. It's also the same word that the Israelites cried to God with during the time of the judges when they were oppressed and being defeated by their foes and their enemies. This is the cry. The cry to Yahweh. He can handle your complaint. So it's probably parsing it a little too fine here, but we're not supposed to complain, right? Nobody likes a whiner. Um, The Bible says not to complain, right? In the book of Philippians. In fact, it says not to because if you don't, you'll be a good example to the dark world around you. Um, This is perfect because this helps us understand that we can complain to God and he can handle it, right? Which is good because you and I know, go in both ways. Like there's people in your life that they can't handle the strain of you complaining to them anymore. Like you need to stop, right? And then you feel that from other people. You're like, oh my goodness, stop complaining, right? I think it's wonderful that there's enough in God for us to come in and not go, complain doesn't have to go in and be like complain and he can he can hear it he can handle it he can take it so i think there does need to be some discernment right of what we take to god and what we give to others we need to understand the counselors in our lives the people in our lives we need to be sensitive to what they can handle and what's going on in their lives right but guess what god has infinite reserves and capability we can come to him and he can handle it he can take it so David comes to him, and in verse 3, then says, My spirit faints within me, and when it does, you know my way. This is comforting. In the first two verses, Yahweh was referred to in the third person. Now he's referred to in the second person, directly addressed. This picture, this word, is, is a word that doesn't just mean um, cognitive understanding of a... Con- it's not trivia, It is the same word that is used to talk about intimacy, 
closeness. It's not just intellectual comprehension. So God doesn't just know, yeah, I know his way. I, I see it there on the, on the timeline. God's intimately acquainted with your way. He knows it inside and out. He's there with you in it. Which is good, because the second half of the verse says they're trying to set a trap for me again. So we have the same language from Psalm 57, this, this hunting trap, right? We're going to go catch a bird, and so we're going to set these traps, these nets. We're going to place them in the forest so that we can catch these birds, which is tough for David when he feels like a bird, <laughs> when he feels like he's being hunted that way, that he's on the run. And not only that, but look at verse 4. He looks to the right and sees there's none who takes notice of me. And one of the commentators said this might refer to the, the military um, sense that David is, is a fighting man. Yes, he's a poet, he's a, but he's also a, a, a killer. He's a soldier. And very often their, their shields would be in the left hand and their swords would be in the right hand. So they were most vulnerable on the right side. But if you had another soldier on your right who also had a shield, right, then you were covered. You were covering each other. And so to fight in numbers obviously is better. David feels like there's nobody here. There's nobody at my right hand. I've got nobody here. It also could be, I don't trust anybody right now. There's nobody at my right hand that I, I don't have a right hand man. Whatever the case, this is what he comes, this is what comes out of it. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Now, whether or not that's true, we've all been there. Right? No one cares for my soul. So what's the answer? Well, the last three verses are the hopeful cry. Because immediately, David says, I cry to you, O Yahweh. I say, you are my refuge. Look at verse 4. No refuge remains. Verse 5. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. That word portion was what is usually used in the Old Testament to talk about the land that the tribes of Israel got. So when Joshua was divvying up the land, Simeon, you get over here, and, and uh, Naphtali, you get over here, and Gad, you get this, and this is for Judah, and this is for... When he's divvying up the land, that's their portion. That's what you get. You, this tribe gets this land. What's interesting is that the Levites, remember the Levites, the tribe of Levites, they don't get any land, um, but they get to serve God in the, in the uh, tabernacle and later in the temple, and then specifically God says that he would be their portion. You don't get any land, but you get a special benefit. You get me <laughs> in a special, unique way. So in this way, David says, God's my portion in the land of the living. I don't have any land. I'm on the run. But God is my portion. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. And then this last image is interesting. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. So it almost feels like he comes out of prison and all his friends are waiting to greet him. God rescues him and now he's with his friends. He's not alone anymore. So one of the things that God will rescue him from is loneliness and into community. And it might even refer to um, the idea of um, the dances that they would do around the altar of God where they would do it in community. They do it in circles. They would surround each other in these dances and these celebrations before God. It's looking forward to what David will be able to do when he is rescued, when he is brought out from what God was going to bring him out of. So lastly, how do we apply this to our lives? I mean, I hope that the Holy Spirit's working in your life and you've got some very specific applications you can make to your own life. I can't pretend in this room to get to all of those. But I think that one of the ones I got reading 
is take the long view. If you understand that David was on the run for 10 years, if we understand that Abraham waited 25 years for God to give him the son, that he, 25 years, 25 years to wait. This seems to be the, the norm, especially in the Old Testament, is this, we have to take the long view. We have to be able to lift up our heads and look and say, what am I doing today that's going to last? What is God doing and giving me, and, and giving me um, helping me get out of this? What does he have for me? What are his plans for me? We've got to take the long view like David did. And so this is the perseverance. So David doesn't give up. He probably felt like it. He doesn't give up because he's David, hero of the Old Testament. He doesn't give up because Yahweh is his portion in the land of the living. So we got to take the long view. The, the next one, the purpose is praise and all over the world. This is much more easy to see in the New Testament and since Jesus came, but even there's hints of it in the Old Testament, right? Where, where is he going to sing? Among the peoples, among the nations, so that everyone can hear how great God is. The purpose is praise. David wanted to get out of there and praise God. In fact, some of the other Psalms, you can see he wants to get back to the temple. And so in a super roundabout way, right? This is what we all experienced in the last two years is getting back to church, getting back to worshiping God with our brothers and sisters in community the way that it was meant to be. The purpose is God's praise and it's all over the world. And the last application is to talk to God about all of your life. Talk to God about all of your life. There's not a spiritual part of your life that God wants to hear about, and he's just, nah, not interested in the other, the other part. He's not, oh, whatever, you know. Um, don't, talk to your, don't talk to me about your dog. Come on, that's not spiritual. Don't talk to me about your money. Don't talk, no. No, talk to God about all of your life. If you go back and read these and you read through the Psalms, David brings material, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional things to the Lord. All of it. He brings all of his life. So I think sometimes we think like we have to be some kind of, if, if we're spiritual and if we're mature, then we, we kind of like get past those little things and don't talk to God about those because we've got it handled. That sounds a lot like pride. <laughs> that sounds like a bad place to be. Instead of humble before the Lord, bringing everything to the Lord. And so when we, we read these Psalms, I would just end by saying this. Do you have a refuge to run to? To hide in? to wait out the storms of life. And in that refuge, do you have hope? Um, If your refuge is binge watching, if it's swiping and swiping and swiping, if it's substances to calm you down or numb the pain, if it's being so busy you can't think about this, then you are lost, my friend. Because the only refuge that is safe and secure is the Lord. And many of you know that. This is where young people in the church, let's go me and me down. <laughs> we really need you um, wise people. I saw somebody's, I saw someone, um, someone had a, a bottle of vitamins recently and it was for men 50 and wiser. That was good. <laughs> so for those of you that are wiser, we need you. We need you big time. Um, 
And we need you probably more than we know we need you. And so you probably feel like we don't need you. And so you're going to kind of stay away. Please don't do that. Come on in and, and help us. Give us advice. Pray for us. Come alongside of us. You have gone to the refuge that is the Lord longer than we have, more often than we have. And we need that. Because when, he, when David gets out, he comes out to community. He comes out to his people. And greatest of all, um, great David's greater son, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross spoke the words of the Psalms on his lips as he died for you and for me in our place for our sin. He spoke the words of the Psalms in those last minutes. What a good example for us to imitate our Lord in having the words of the Psalms on our lips. Some of you aren't reading your Bible because you've been doing it for a long time and it just got boring. Um, read the Psalms. They're not boring. Like, read them with, like, fervor, right? Read the, the Psalms and see the, the emotion, the theology that is present there about who our God is and how we approach him. Lord, I thank you for the Psalms. I thank you for Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. I thank you for all 150 Psalms that, that speak to us in a different way. Um, Lord, I, I try to, to push down my emotions and to grip my teeth and get through things. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to model after David, a warrior, a poet, a king, a husband, a father, a servant, a shepherd. Lord, I pray that all of us then would go from this place this week and, and find ways that we can put your word into practice. Lord, I pray that you would have buoyed some spirits this morning, that you would have encouraged some in this room who needed it this morning. I pray that the conversations would happen in the next few minutes, in the next few hours that need to happen. Lord, I don't know what you have planned, but I trust that you have, you're going to do something with your word this morning. Uh, I pray as we go to, to classes now and learn more about you from your word, that we would also um, be encouraged and take those things with us. And Lord, I pray for those this morning that are, that are feeling low even after this, feeling beat down. Lord, I pray that they would go to these, these psalms and pray them back to you and that you would encourage them that you're sending your steadfast love and your faithfulness as emissaries, maybe not even to pull them out, but to be with them. Lord, I pray that you would be with anyone in this room who doesn't know you in a personal way, that has never repented of their sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and in the empty tomb. Um, Lord, that they would, this morning, come to know you as um, a personal God who loves them, who has a purpose that he will fulfill for them. I pray that you would do that even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.